Hey, Jimmy Murphy, Pierre McGuire here on another edition of the Eye Test on the Sick Podcast Network. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to the Sick Podcast. The Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche. And after 22 years, Raymond The Sickest NHL Podcast. It's going to be sick. Hey, here we are back on the eye test. Pierre, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Jimmy, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good, my friend. Some great hockey last night, and we'll get into that in a bit. But let's go right to the news out of Ottawa this morning, Pierre. After following a win, a, a big win over the New York Rangers, uh, the Ottawa Senators announced that they're bringing back Jacques Martin in a consulting coaching role. Uh, what what do you make of this, Pierre? I have to think familiarity is a big part of it. Uh, Daniel Alfredson, who's now got a major voice in some hockey decisions in Ottawa, he played for Jacques in Ottawa for a good length of his career, and they had a tremendous relationship. So I think Daniel probably had something to do with that. And you have to remember Michael Andlauer is a former uh, partner of Jeff Molson with the Montreal Canadiens. Jacques mm-hmm. Martin had a pretty good run as a coach with the Montreal Canadiens. So I think between Mr. Ann Lauer and his relationship with Jacques and Daniel and his relationship with Jacques, they bring him in. It's just an eye in the sky to help DJ Smith and his staff. And the other thing, I think it kind of tamp damps down a little bit of the energy, probably a lot of it negative in Ottawa right now. And I don't think DJ deserves what the fans are doing in Ottawa. And I have total respect for the fan base in Ottawa. I loved working there. I broadcast there for a long time. I respect the community wholeheartedly. I understand their frustration, Jimmy, but this isn't on DJ Smith. I'm just telling you right now. Um, They've had a lot of injuries. There's some holes in the lineup. The Shane Pinto situation doesn't help them. And there have been, you know, some things that have happened because of key players going down. Hasn't made it an easy transition for the coaching staff. Well, Pierre, you know, one thing you told me, I remember off air talking when when Ann Lauer took over, is that he's very patient and that he's going to want to come in and really just, like you just said, calm the waters, make sure he, he gets a proper evaluation of anything before he pulls the trigger. And, and really, the, the, the Dorian situation, while I think Dorian was gone eventually, you'll agree, but I don't think he really wanted to do that. He was just kind of forced into it, right? Yeah, I would say that you're right about that. Um, listen, I know how much respect he has for Stephen Stales, by the way, too, who's the current president of Hockey yeah. Operations and is overseeing everything right now. Uh, and that's not an easy job. You know, Jimmy, that's a really hard job just for one guy to be doing it. I know he's getting some help uh, from from young bonus there. But I, I would just tell you that um, it's not an easy situation for him. And so I think the ownership being patient is good. But I also know that they have an expectation to win. They, they mm-hmm. never man no matter whomever, whomever was the owner there, Jimmy, expectations really haven't been managed very well. And I think there's a sense of frustration with the fans because of that. That being said, they are a very exciting team to watch when they play like they did last night against the Rangers. That was a ton of fun to watch. For sure. And my, my final question is, Pierre, is if you're DJ Smith, all right, right now, and you've got a legend in that organization now that comes back and is a consultant, so to speak, um, if, if Jacques suggests something – does DJ automatically have to agree with it just no. out of fear for his job or no? No. I, first of all, I know DJ really well. Um, he's very sure of his opinions and is where he stands uh, with mm-hmm. hockey decision-making and philosophy. He's surrounded by some really good men too. Uh, you look at Jack Capuano, a former head coach. You look at Davis Payne, a head coach in two different cities in the NHL. You look at Zach Burke, who's a competent goalie coach. Um, I look at Ben Sexton as being one of the better assistant coaches out there because of his ability to develop skills. So they've got a really good staff uh, in Mm -hmm. Ottawa. If DJ doesn't like something that Jock says, he doesn't have to go with it. I I don't think he's worried about that. I really don't. All right. That's good. I just didn't want to kind of be an odd situation there for them. Uh, Let's go around the league here. Pierre and a team we were talking about off the air before we came on here, uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, who obviously you follow, being a former member of that organization, and so is our guest coming up soon. We'll we'll get to that in a second. But look, Pierre, they're going in Tampa Bay Lightning tonight, and you know we're about the quarter way here in the season, so it's kind of you know it's awkward when you say must win this early, 
But this is kind of a must win for the Pittsburgh Penguins, isn't it? Well, they've lost their last two to division rival, the Philadelphia Flyers. And and by the way, full compliments oh, yeah. to Keith Jones and to Danny Briere and to John Tortorella. Uh, you know, to show you how old I am, John was John the late John Muckler's assistant in Buffalo, and I was the assistant to Paul Holmgren in Hartford. We used to coach against each other. Now that's a long time ago. Yeah. You know, to see where John is now and to see the type of coaching he's doing, uh, hats off to him. And I, I think the organization in Philadelphia's got to be really excited about where they are in the standings. But for Pittsburgh, you lose home and you lose on the road, obviously in, in extra time or shootout. So that's a problem for Pittsburgh. And if you look at the standings, I don't think Pittsburgh at this time of the year thought that Philadelphia is going to be ahead of them, Jimmy. I just don't think they did. And so you look at it right now and the way it's setting up in the month of December for the Penguins and the schedule that they have, this is almost a must win. And they're going into Tampa at the wrong time. They really are. Tam yeah. Vasilevsky, the last game to Vasilevsky played against Dallas, he was tremendous. He was really good. Four nothing shutout. And, and Jimmy, who's the MVP of the league? Because I think there's a guy in Tampa that might be the MVP of the league and Nikita Kucherov. Yeah, I'm with you, Pierre. I mean, and I'm a little, you know, I'm covering David Posnack every day. I think he should be in the conversation as well. But I look south there to Tampa. And, yeah, what he's done when they had Vasilevsky out of the lineup and with some other in injuries that they dealt with from time to time, he steadied the ship there. He did a great job. And I think the coaching staff deserves a good pat on the back for that as well. But, yeah, Kucherov has been the man there, and he's really stepped up. But you mentioned Vasilevsky. Pierre, he wanted that game bad. After what oh. happened in Dallas, yeah. I said, you know, I went on the uh, betting podcast and I said, you know, there's, there's games you kind of circle. Nothing's a short thing in pro sports, yeah. in anything, in life. But that was one of those as close to you get <laughs> as a short thing because I knew he was going to come out and be in the zone, and he surely was. So that's a hot team now that Pittsburgh's running into. They've they're got their engines going right now. This is going to be an uphill battle for Pittsburgh, Pierre. And I look at those standings right now. You brought it up. I mean, they're out of the wild card right right mm -hmm. now. And, you know, they're only two points out on the Islanders who hold that last spot. But they've got Tampa, Washington, and the Devils right in front of them. So this is not going to be an easy thing. And I look back at that offseason, Pierre, and a lot of people are hyping them up with all the changes they made. Of course, they bring in Eric Carlson. I still didn't feel like this was a Stanley Cup contender. I, I just... There was something off about that team to me. Obviously, any team with Crosby and Malkin is a contender. I know that. But there was still something missing to me, and I think it's showing right now. What's missing the most is the power play. They're 0 for 29 in their last 11 games. That's not going to wow. get it done. They've won three of their last 10. Um, the power play has been anemic beyond belief. They've tried Carlson up high. They moved Latang there the other day against Philadelphia. Gave up, and it wasn't Christopher's fault. It was everybody's fault. They were giving up shorthanded breakaways, two-on-ones. It was unbelievable. So there's a lack of confidence on that power play. That power play's got to be better because they're not going to score enough five-on-five. Five. Malkin's kind of dried up after a tremendous start. Riley mm -hmm. Smith has really dried up. They're a one-line team right now with Gensel, who's playing very well. Crosby, who's been unbelievably good. Always. And obviously, um, Brian Russ. So you, yeah. you look at it, Jimmy, I'm just telling you, for Pittsburgh, Kyle Dubas went in there and spent a lot of money and did a lot of tinkering in the offseason. They better get going here. Or if not, if they don't, Jimmy, I'm going to tell you right now, they might be the first team that has to shake the tree hard. They didn't make the playoffs last year. Yeah. That, in Pittsburgh, that's not good enough. The fan base no. won't take it. So, no. and especially with Crosby and Malkin and Latang, yeah. they're the big three. So if they don't get going here, I think at some point they're going to have to shake the tree. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Well, let's head out west, Pierre. And by the way, I want to uh, tell our listeners there too, always remember when you're watching, if you can, we'd appreciate it. Hit the subscribe button, hit the like button. We appreciate it. And we're going to head out west now here. And a team that, you know, a lot of people aren't talking about much and they're not getting enough credit. And they're really, to me, one of the most exciting teams to watch in the NHL right now. And that is the Arizona Coyotes, Pierre. Yeah. Tell me why people need to start watching this team. Clayton Keller right now is maybe the best passing playmaker in the National Hockey League. He really – you have to watch their team. He's playing with Logan Cooley right now and Nick Schmaltz, and Clayton has been absolutely phenomenal. Logan Cooley, everybody's talking about Connor Bedard, as they should, by the way, uh, for Rookie of the Year. But I would sneak in Logan Cooley's name very easily, and you can make an argument that he's right up there with all the great rookies that are in the National Hockey League this year. And, and Nick Schmaltz 
is really starting to find his way offensively, which is great news for Arizona. They're playing up-tempo. They're really utilizing home ice. It's not a big building in Arizona. I've been there. But what it is is it's an energetic building. The fans Mm. have a lot of passion. But that top line, Jimmy, I'm telling you right now, Clayton Keller, I wish he was in a market where more people watched. Obviously, he's not overly sexy to watch Arizona night to night unless you have somebody on the team that you know. Mm -hmm. But if you're really studying it, that guy's played tremendously well this year. He's been a really, really good player for Arizona. Yeah, and you bring up uh, unless you have somebody you know. I mean, I know Billy Armstrong from way back, yeah, and he deserves a lot of credit. That's a GM that people don't really talk about much, Pierre, but he slowly built that team up. They knew it was a rebuilding process, but he's really stressed development there, and now it's coming to fruition. And you look at that line, Pierre, I'm thinking here, what's a good nickname for that? They're all college hockey players. The NCAA line right there. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a bad thought. You should just make sure you tell Billy that. Yeah. (laughs) He doesn't want any attraction on the line. (laughs) So, yeah, they're a fun team to watch. I definitely urge people to get on that and and watch them closely. And, you know, they've got guys coming, too. That's the beautiful thing there. They're not even close to where they want to be. This is sort of a pleasant surprise right now. But they're riding that momentum. They're a fun team to watch. One team that's riding momentum, and we're going to bring on a guest shortly to talk about this, is the Minnesota Wild. And joining us probably in about eight minutes will be the general manager of the Minnesota Wild, Billy Guerin. I'm looking forward to that. I know you go way back with Billy as well, Pierre. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be a fun conversation. But let's talk about his team and what's happened since he pulled the trigger on that coaching change. Well, first of all, they're playing way more up-tempo. Um, and that's kind of one of the marquee calling cards for John Hines, their new head coach. Um, they're playing faster. They're coming out of their own zone way cleaner than they were before, and that's not a knock on Dean or Bobby Woods who got let go mm-hmm. in the coaching transition. It's just the reality of where they are right now. Um, what I also like is they've turned Brock Faber loose. Brock was originally a first-round pick uh, of the L.A. Kings, came over in a trade that Billy Guerin engineered with his staff, and Brock was a tremendous player at the University of Minnesota, uh, outstanding player for U.S. national team development programs. And now all of a sudden he's playing 23 to 25 minutes a game. And you can just see the difference playing with Jonas Brodeen. That's a tremendous one-two tandem for them. And then I, I think the biggest thing is moving Marco Rossi, one of their former first-round picks, to play with Zuccarello and Kaprizov. That's made a huge difference for Marco. Mm-hmm. It's taken a lot of pressure off of Ryan Hartman. And so Ryan's more in his niche, what he needs to do as an energy player with a little bit of skill. Um, but, but I would say it's just subtle little changes with personnel, so getting some guys more ice time, putting other guys in different roles. But the biggest guy I think that's benefited has been Matt Boldy. You know, you oh. watched the game in Calgary last night. Jimmy gets two goals in that game. Um, you know, again, a first-round pick that they're really counting on. And a guy that signed a huge deal. And, and you know what? He deserves a lot of credit. He hung in there. He he wasn't looking good at the start of the year. And he really battled through this. And now he's starting to get going. And I'm sure that's what Billy Guerin was expecting of him when he signed the big ticket. For sure. Pierre, talk to us. You've been in situations like this. And you've seen it happen with teams. What is it like when a new voice comes in like that? Just kind of map us through the, the adjustment period. And it's happening so fast because you're doing this on the fly mid-season. What's that like for the players? It's hard. It's really hard for, on the players. And you know what? A lot of it comes down to the internal leadership in the dressing room. And in Minnesota's case, with Marcus Felino, who's a tremendous guy, yeah. uh, and with Jared Spurgeon, who's a tremendous guy, they've been around. Jonas Brodin's been around. Joel Erickson Eck has been around a long time. These are Minnesota guys. That, you know, I know Felino came from Buffalo, but still he's kind of grown up in that organization. So it really helps the new coaching staff when you got voices that can help you internally. Because when it's all said and done, and I'm sure Billy will tell you this, yes, the coaches are important, and yes, the managers are important. But what really polices the dressing room? Peer pressure. And if you don't have good leaders in the room, and you know this from your experience in Boston, yes. you Zdeno Chara, Mark Recchi, Patrice Bergeron, David Krejci, those guys matter. The coaches yeah. are great, don't get me wrong, but it's the players that police the room. And I think yeah. Minnesota's got those kinds of good people that can police the room and help the coach get through this transition. And John Hines clearly has taken advantage of his opportunity. Now, we spoke about this when the change happened, Pierre, but just for our listeners out there maybe that weren't, you know, uh, checking into that episode, talk to us about the relationship between John Hines and Billy Guerin. Where's that well, or- originate? 
Yeah, so you know, you look at it. One guy's a BC guy talking about Billy Garen. One guy's a BU guy talking about John Hines. But there's obviously a New England attachment first and foremost. Secondly, uh, Johnny Hines was coaching in in Wilkesbury when Billy was a general manager of that team. So there's a sense of familiarity there. When Ray Shiro went to New Jersey, he hired John Hines to be his coach. You know, so Ray Sherrill uh, gave Billy Guerin an opportunity not just to win the cup in 2009 as a player, but also to move into the management mm -hmm. side of the game. Um, so you look at a lot of different things. It's all, I think, pretty tied in. And there's huge familiarity between Billy Guerin and John Hines. And I think that trust is really important if you're going to make a change like Billy had to make. Yeah. And one thing that you talk about trust there, and I, I want to ask Billy about it, too, is the trust between him and Ray Shero and just the relationship those guys have. Pierre, you know both guys well, but you know Ray really well. Talk to us about what, what you know, from afar you've seen him do for a guy like Billy Guerin as he's come into his own as a manager. One of the best things I think Billy did when he went to Minnesota was to bring Ray in after Ray got let go in New Jersey. And, and I learned this a long time ago when Craig Patrick got the GM's job in Pittsburgh rather than go with people that, you know, he'd be comfortable with and he wouldn't be worried about, he went and hired Badger Bob Johnson to coach his team, a huge name that everybody knew. And to run his player development and scouting, he hired Scotty Bowman. So he went out and got the very best people. And when Billy did that with Ray, it said, okay, he's not afraid for his job. He knows Ray knows exactly what he's doing. Ray knows the pro players. Ray knows the American Hockey League players. Ray knows the coaches. Ray knows the assistant coach. So Ray is a fountain of information that Billy can really rely on. And I think when you do that, it really helps your group get better. I really do, Jimmy. And uh, I give tremendous respect to Billy for having the moxie to bring Ray in uh, because he had worked, he had played for Ray and he also had worked for Ray. Yeah, it, it, I thought it was a great move when it happened. It was sort of nobody really talked about it much, Pierre. It just sort of fell under the radar. But I remember you telling me, watch this. This is huge and it's happening. So just so you know, Ray's father was called the fog for a reason. He was kind of quiet and he moved around surreptitiously and he had loud teams. But that's how Freddie did it. And uh -huh. Ray's kind of the same way. Okay. Um, in a real smart way. And, and, you know, I, I'll tell you this one great story. We were at a wedding in Boston, um, believe it or not. And the old anthem singer, Renee Rancourt was actually singing at this wedding. And <laughs> Ray and I were there and um, Mr. Shiro and Mrs. Shiro, they're now both, um, you know, passed on, but yeah. they were there as well. And we were sitting all at the same table and Fred and I were talking about different breakouts and we we're talking about neutral zone coverages. Oh, and awesome. Instead of drawing on a, you know, we're in a wedding, instead of drawing on the tablecloth, we started moving beer bottles around. The beer bottles were the players. <laughs> and uh, it was, it was, and Ray looked at me and he goes, You two guys are nuts. And I was like, I'm just trying to learn from somebody that actually knows what he's doing. Freddie, Freddie Shiro, the father, mm -hmm. and sometimes Ray gets called that as a nickname, but. Freddie Shirley, the father, was just an amazing, amazing hockey person. Just an unbelievable hockey man. That sounds like my type of wedding, Pierre. I, I would be it doing the same wedding. thing. I won't I tell you that. whose wedding it was because it's a friend of mine and a friend of Ray's, and he was a very good player, didn't play pro in North America, played in uh -huh. Europe, but I don't want to get him in trouble. Okay. So it's all good. I'll tell you what, Pierre, too. You bring up Renee Rancord there. When, uh, when the great Russ Conway passed away, a uh, Hockey Hall of Fame writer who was a mentor to me, uh, he sang it as, uh, at the, the wake after. Oh, wow. at this, yeah, it, when we went and had dinner and he sang and it was it was good time. We just traded stories. But that was the same thing. So I'm at that I'm at that uh, service after and we're sitting there eating. You know, there's Bobby Orr and Terry O'Reilly are there and Johnny Busick and all these guys. And they're just doing the same thing, talking hockey, saying, well, what'd you think about the breakout on this play? And I was like, this is great. I'm just uh, just a flyer in the wall, like we said the other day. So it was great stuff. Oh, it is. You can so the the late great Badger Bob Johnson told me every day you go to the rink, learn something new. You said yep. that every you say every day you go to the rink, learn something new. Ask a question, watch a player, study a coach, study mm -hmm. a drill, learn something new every day. And and so he told me that on the draft floor in 1990, a year wow. after Billy Guerin got picked fifth overall in Minnesota at the old Bloomington Arena. Uh, where Matt Sundin went first oh, overall, wow. by the way, in the 89 draft. 
Um, but Badger told me that in front of 50,000 people on the floor of the football stadium in Vancouver. I'll never forget that, and I've always tried to live by that. That's all, I, that's really – that's some irony there. I didn't realize he was in Minnesota where he got drafted. Yes, Billy was drafted was at uh, the Met Center in Bloomington. That is correct. Oh, wow. And you know what's interesting? The guy that was picked just before him was mm -hmm. Stu Barnes, who went to the Winnipeg Jets. Stu Barnes. So Stu wow. Barnes went one pick ahead of Billy. And the guy that went right after Billy – was Adam Bennett of the Chicago Blackhawks. So wow. Billy went fifth. But if you look at that, the number 10 pick in that draft was Bobby Holik, who is, you know, obviously a Hartford Whaler, but was a much better New Jersey devil. That's great. Good stuff. This is why I love doing this with you, Pierre. That's it's a great tie-in there. And we're going to get Billy Guerin on soon. We're just waiting to loop him in right now. But uh, you bring up the old Met Center here. And one of the things I love about the Wild in the last two years is the throwback unis they got yeah. kind of honoring the Minnesota North Stars. I love that they're honoring that uh, that heritage there. I, I agree. And, uh, you know, there's so many great players that have played over time with the Minnesota North Stars. And one of them, Hall of Famer, that nobody really talks about, being because I all remember from Dallas, is Mike Madonna. You oh, know, yeah. Mike Madonna was, you know, a tremendous, tremendous pick uh, by Smokey Cerrone and the, and the uh, Minnesota North Stars back then. But, Billy will remember Smokey Cerrone, and he'll remember all those other legendary scouts and people that were involved. And, you know, I'll just tell you this. Marshall Johnston and David Conti were oh, two yeah. really important guys in Billy Guerin's career when he got drafted in 89. Yeah, David Conti was a great scout, really good scout. I heard you actually talking about him with uh, Mitch Melnick the other day. Yeah. You brought him up. But, you know, you look at that, that – We'll just go back in history again there. A couple of years later after that draft, that's where you won your first Stanley Cup, right? It is. You know what's interesting? We won the Cup in 91 and 92. So the Bloomington Arena is now a parking lot for the Mall of America. And uh, in Chicago, we won in the old Chicago Stadium. That's a parking lot for the United Center. Both <laughs> buildings are gone. But what was amazing about, I'll never forget, we were walking over for game six, uh, Scotty, Badger, and I, um, and it was really warm out. And the, it's the first time I'd ever seen this at a hockey game. The parking lot was huge in Bloomington around the rink. And it was like a football stadium atmosphere. And everybody was tailgating like crazy for the Stanley <laughs> Cup final. And it really, it was, it was That's surreal. Great. It, it was yeah. amazing to see. Um, Carolina does that. From all the, you know, the cooking, the meat and everything. Yep. It, was, it was great. And you say, we got to play a game. You know, yeah. the, the good news, game six for us was we won eight nothing. Uh, we scored a whack of goals in the first probably six or seven yep, minutes of the game. We broke them, and it was over. But what was awesome about that, and Billy can speak to this as a general manager in that state of hockey in Minnesota, not one fan, I'm telling you, they all wanted to see the cup on the ice. Not mm -hmm. one fan left the building, and they gave the Penguins an unbelievable round of applause when we started a parade in the cup around the rink. Well, let's go to Mr. Billy Guerin right now, the general manager of Minnesota Wild here on the ITES on the Sick Podcast Network. Billy, how you doing? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? I heard some of your comments uh, while I was uh, backstage, and yeah, those those names are very dear to my heart. Even Smokey, I played summer hockey for Smokey Cerrone, and man, what a character he was! Uh, oh my God, he just uh, just an I mean, Smokey Cerrone. He's a character. Yeah, look at the name. And, uh, yeah, great guy, uh, Marshall Johnson, David Conti. Uh, so many of those guys back in the Jersey days were, uh, yeah, huge, huge for, uh, you know, the, the start of my career and development. Yeah, that's great. Before we get into telling some stories here, because I'm looking forward to that between you and Pierre, uh, just talk to us. You guys are on a nice streak now after the coaching change. Go back, I guess, Billy, to, you know, when you're starting to realize maybe you've got to make the change. I've seen some of the comments you made to Michael Russo and how hard it was. Just take us back to that moment and how things have transgressed since then. Yeah. I mean, look, it's the worst thing about the job, especially when you have somebody that you really like and care for and, you know, spent a lot of quality time with and, um, you know, and, and that's done great work for you. And, mm -hmm. and that's Dean Evison and, and, you know, him and I got very close over the last, you know, number of years and, um, but you have to, you have to do your job and, uh, you know, and, and Dean was just so gracious when he, you know, when I told him and, and we just had such a great talk and, 
you know, about all the things that we accomplished together and, and, you know, where does it go from here? But, you know, Hey, look, he, he might not be coaching our team anymore, but he has become a, a dear friend and somebody that I respect immensely. That's great. Pierre. Well, first of all, I really love what you just said, Billy, and it doesn't surprise me coming from you. We've go a long way back. I got to ask you about one guy that made a difference early on in your career, and that'd be Gary Deneen. He ran an unbelievable program in Springfield to call the Springfield Olympics. I know you and Scotty Lachance and Bob Kellogg were all obviously really early picks that all played together for the picks, no pun intended. How much of an influence was Gary Deneen on you, Billy? Uh, he's the biggest. Um, I actually have my <laughs> Springfield Olympics puck right here. Oh, that's great. In my office. Um, very, very dear to my heart. Gary was, you know, Gary had probably the biggest impact hockey-wise out of, out of anybody. Um, just the, the early development, the, you know, he was the head of his time. It was practice, mm-hmm. valued practice time over games. Um, when you go to his hockey school, it was all small area stuff, very little, you know, uh, full sheet stuff. He, he, he's like, you know what, the games are for mom and dad, you know, the, the, the practice time, that's for you. Um, and, you know, then it was all about character. It was all about, the, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, it was all about character. It was all about being a good citizen, like, you know, things like that. And it just – yeah, he, he, he helped a lot of guys, not just me and Scotty Lachance and Bobby Kay, but um, there's just a number of guys um, that went on to play college hockey that probably probably definitely wouldn't have gone uh, if they didn't play for Gary. Jimmy, one of those guys was a guy named Diesel Dan Hunter. Billy will remember him. He I, I recruited him. And I, back in the day, you used to drive on the Mass Pike and to the left when you were heading west – you would see Diesel Dan's. That was his dad's gas oh, okay. station. <laughs> yeah. so that's that's a yeah. long time Dan ago. Hunt, he's a great, yeah, he was a heck of a player. Small guy, it. could dangle. He was, uh, yeah, he was good, really good. Love I can't believe you remember. Good for you, Billy. Billy, i got to ask you, one of the things that happens when a coaching change happens, the message changes. How have you seen the message change with your team in Minnesota now after you've made the coaching change? Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's definitely different, um, and I think that's kind of what the guys needed. Uh, you, you know that you know better than anybody. There's a there's a shelf life on on coaches and and the message that they they bring. And um, you know, John's brought something fresh and something new, uh, just a different way of looking at the game. And I think the guys were were ready for it. And uh, you know, that's 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 just kind of the nature of the beast. Huh? Look at D- Dean has his approach. John has his approach. Um, they're different, and there's a time and place for for both of them. Um, but it, it's like I said, time and place. So uh, the, the guys are really enjoying playing for John right now, as as they did for Dean. What I've noticed is Marco Rossi's getting a pushed up role, obviously playing with uh, Zuccarello and Kaprizov, and I've also noticed Brandon Faber's playing a lot more, especially with Jonas Brodin. Is that fair to say, Billy? Yeah. Um, you know, those are two young players that have been outstanding for us this year. And, um, you know, like they, they've been playing in an elevated role all, you know, all year, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and they've, they've been playing well. I, I think, you know, they, they've been two of our more consistent guys all year. Um, but I think now like the, the sky's the limit for them and they're just going to keep getting better and keep earning more responsibility. Jimmy, I have to tell you, the 1995 Stanley Cup, Billy's first cup as a player was in New Jersey. He played for a legendary guy by the name of Jacques Lemaire. How much did you learn about hockey from Jacques Lemaire? Um, yeah, I can't even put it into words, to be honest with you. Um, but even more than just about X's and O's and things like that, we learned how to win. He taught us how to win. And that was that was critical for all of us as individuals as you know, the 95 devils and the devils moving forward. Mm-hmm. It's something that was ingrained in the culture there. And, and Lou, you know, what Lou and Jock did there was, uh, that was some good work. For sure. Hey, you bring up that cup and I want to go to another moment in Billy's career, kind of fast forward guys. We've got a clip to play right here. 
I'm here for a reason and a mission accomplished. Yeah, I, I guess it is. And, uh, you know, I, I just can't thank the Penguins enough for giving me this opportunity. And I haven't had this much fun playing hockey in a long time. And I tell you what, it's just, it's just an incredible feeling and uh, why we all just love this game so much. Congrats, Billy. Oh, enjoy it. I know that was a wonderful moment for you there at the end, towards the end of your career, Billy. What was it like to go that long between championships? What did that teach you about how hard this league is and how have you tried to convey it to younger players, whether when you were playing or now as a manager to players as well? Well, you know, it's precious. Um, being, being an NHL player is a privilege, not a right. Um, having the opportunity to compete for the Stanley cup and then eventually winning a Stanley cup is something that, uh, you know, you can never, uh, you can, you should never take it for granted. Mm -hmm. you, you can never do that. Um, it's hard. It's hard to convey that to players because they have to go through it themselves. It's like raising your kids, you know, they, yeah. they never listen to their parents. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, when you're, when you're 45, 50 and you go back and you say, mom, dad, geez, you were, you were right. Yeah. And they're looking at you like, yeah, I know. I'm feeling that that's, now. That's just what you hope. That's yeah. just what you hope. Yeah. Okay. Well, Pierre, you had a good story you want to ask Billy about before that uh, cup win there, right? Yeah, no, after game five in Detroit in 2009, you guys lost five, nothing in game five. And I was walking out of the rink with one of my old players, Mario Lemieux, and he, he was obviously owning the team at the time. And, I said, hey, Ace, that's a, that's a tough way to go down. He looked right at me like he's really ticked off, and he goes, we're going to win this series. <laughs> and so I know that when you guys got off the charter back in Pittsburgh after that game, he went in the dressing room and wrote something on the blackboard. Do you remember what it was, Billy? I, I got to be honest, Pierre. I, unfortunately, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, know, I know he did send a text before game seven, and yeah. um, that, that was something that was really meaningful. And uh, – you know the last the last line at that was of, of that was meet you at center ice. Um, yeah, and Mario. It's almost like what he wrote on the blackboard, 100. Yeah. percent That's about what he wrote. Yeah. So yeah, it and and the thing about Mario is that and, and it was so great having him around because he just like exudes confidence, <laughs> and like when he's around, you're like, okay, everything's gonna everything's okay. Yeah. What was amazing in that series? They win Game Six in Pittsburgh, two to one. Then they go into Detroit and they win game seven, two to one. And Max Talbot, of all the players, Max Talbot gets yeah. two goals in the game. And Mark andre Fleury comes up with a huge save at the end of game seven on Lidstrom. Billy, you'd won it before. You win it there in Detroit. You know the end is near. How emotional does it get for somebody when they go through that like you did? Oh, it was – yeah, it was incredible. I, honestly, like I, just to have my – our children, our four kids there with us and experience that it was, it was a very emotional time. And, and like you guys said, like I played one more year after that. And um, that was the, you know, I, I, that role of being the older guy, the, you know, the seasoned veteran on a young team was just, it was so much fun. It was so rewarding and those guys kept me young and they're just, there was such a great group of guys. So much, just so much fun. Jimmy, I got to ask Billy this, you know, we're going through old things. One of the guys I've always respected so much in the league is Lou Lamorello. And when Billy turned pro, one of the things that happens whenever you're in New Jersey or wherever Lou was, you'd go to Lou U, which was the American hockey league. And you know that, Billy. I don't have to tell you. Yep. Marty Berder had to go to Lou U. I think the only guy that never went was Niedermeyer. I could yep. be wrong. Yeah. But I think Niedermeyer is the only guy that didn't go. What's Lou U like? It's tough at the time, but it works. You, you, you learn. You learn there. And I've adopted that. I, the American Hockey League is is – a great place for you to take a step and develop and get ready because I mean, the NHL is a really good league. You got it. You got to be ready when you step in, because if you're not, you know, you can get set up for failure too. If you're, mm -hmm. you know, we, we dealt with it with Marco Rossi last year. Um, you know, we, we gave him a shot. We kept him up for 20 games. We saw it wasn't working. You know what? He's got to go back to Lou Yu 
and and play more in the minors. And I I, I think it's paying off this year. Jeez. So the you know I didn't spend a ton of time there. I think it was forty four games. Marty was a year. Um, Neater never went, but like you know all the guys, Eliash, Sakura. Uh, you know, the, the, the list is long of guys that, that, that played down there. Um, and, and it was, yeah, it, it was worth it and it was necessary. I could ask you both of you guys this question too. Um, you know, college juniors, what do you find to be the harder transition for a player and who would need to go to Lou a little more than the other one? Well, to me, it depends on how, how, you know, how long they've been in college because that okay. depends like their age, if they're older, they might not need as much time. Uh, look, the, the NHL is, like I said, it's, it's the best league in the world. It's, it's incredibly tough to make. Um, some guys are ready at an early age. Some guys are not mm-hmm. some guys. It's going to take a year. Some guys it's going to take three or four. It all depends on the individual. It doesn't really matter what league you play in. Okay. But I think that's it's the the reason I, I look. There's a benefit to junior, but there's also the thing I like about college is that it gives you a longer runway to develop before you jump into the fire. You know what? I couldn't agree with that more. And I'll use some examples. You look at Logan Cooley, who just turned pro out of the University of Minnesota. He's ready, but we talked about who he's playing with and what the level of expectation is. So he's ready. Connor Bedard, he had the bright lights on him ever since he's been 14 or 15 years old. He's not overwhelmed by any of this. Um, But there's one player that I know Billy knows very well. I remember watching Paul Correa play as a freshman at the University of Maine. I was coaching the Hartford Whalers. And I'm telling you right now, you knew right away, even though he wasn't a big guy, Billy, if you don't agree, please tell me. You knew right away that guy was going to be a star player in the NHL. Didn't matter if he played junior or played college. You knew. Yeah, 100%. And he needed – I don't even think he needed the full year. Maybe he needed a couple months, but uh, that was it. (laughs) I agree. Billy, um, you know, one guy that you and Pierre are very familiar with and good friends with for a long time now, but I know he's had a great influence on you, is Ray Shero. Talk to us about the influence he's had over the course of your career and, and how he's helping there as well. Oh, my God. Well, you know, the uh, – I mean, Ray's just a, he's such a great guy, and, and he's lived a, a life full of hockey and experiences, and he's got all these great stories, and um, he, he has had a huge impact on my life. Um, the trade to Pittsburgh, look, I was a, I was a, I was a dying player, um, you know, on a struggling, or, uh, uh, Islander team old coming to the, the end is near. And I know from working with all these guys, the guys in Pittsburgh did not want to trade for me. And, and Ray said, screw it. I'm trade, I'm trading for him. And that trade really changed my trajectory and, and, really put a positive spin on the end of my career and kind of launched me into uh, a career in management, which is, um, you know, which is, is, is very, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just very grateful that Ray Shiro's in my life and cause he's had a huge impact. Jimmy, another guy that had a huge impact on Billy's life and Billy will know who I'm talking about. They were teammates on three Olympic teams. They were teammates in different NHL cities I think he really was one of the more creative centers when he played in the NHL, and that's Dougie Waite. Can you take us inside that amazing relationship you have with Doug Waite? Yep. Oh, God. Yeah, how long do we have? I mean, honestly, Dougie and I, we're like brothers, you know. Um, love him. And he's, you know, my greatest teammate and one of my greatest friends. And uh, we're very close. Our families are close. Our wives are close. And. Uh, yeah, you just you couldn't ask for a better guy or teammate than Dougie Wade. He's the best. And Jimmy, I just got one more for Billy because I know he's really busy. I know he's got a lot to do. But Herb Brooks in 2002, I was that was my first Olympics. That was your second Olympics. Herb was your coach in Salt Lake City. You played Canada in the gold medal game. What was it like to play for Herb? It, you know, it was great because um, when I played in Utica. In, at Lou Yu, mm-hmm. Herb was my coach there. He was my first coach. Oh, wow. Um, so he was 
So to play in 91, 92 season for Herb and then play in the 02 season for Herb, it was two different guys. And it was fun to see kind of the the tougher Herb early in my career and kind of the little, I can't say loose, um, but looser Herb okay. in 02. And he was just, yeah, it was great. I was, uh, it was fun playing for him. Uh, he kept th- he kept you on your toes. He kept things interesting, uh, and it was just a great experience. I mean, he's one of the legendary coaches of the game, and um, you know I, I was fortunate to play on, uh, for him on a number of occasions. So great, great guy. Awesome. Well, Billy, thanks for taking the time. I know you're busy, and uh, good luck the rest of the way. You guys got on a tough road trip right now, but it's looking good so far. Yeah, thanks, fellas. I really appreciate it. You and BG, right. take care. Thank you. Yeah. Minnesota Wild GM Billy Garen joining us here on the eye test. Don't forget to hit the like button and the subscribe button. And uh, man, he's he's had some very influential people in his uh, hockey career, eh, Pierre? Yeah, he has. You know, I remember when he was just a kid. I think he was 16 years old. And Scotty Lachance, who we talked about, ended up being a first-round pick with the New York Honors. And Bobby Kellogg, another guy he talked about, uh, ended up being a third-round pick with Chicago. We brought their team up when I was coaching at St. Lawrence, actually, the Springfield Olympics, to play our JV team. And the reason why we did it is we wanted to try to recruit all three players. (laughs) Uh, And we thought we were going to sneak at least one out of there, maybe two. Um, And it didn't turn out that way. Billy went to BC. uh, Scotty Lachance went to BU. And Bobby Kellogg went to Northeastern. Uh, But we swung for the fence on all three, I can tell you that right now. Uh, I had so much respect. Billy talked uh, glowingly about – uh, Gary Deneen, uh, who passed mm-hmm. away. Um, Gary Deneen was an Olympic player from Canada. He was a great college player in Canada. He was an amazing, amazing hockey guy. He passed away from lung cancer a long time ago, far too early uh, in his life. But I know how much he meant to Billy. And you see what Billy did when I asked him that? Right behind him, the, the puck was a Springfield yeah. Olympics great. puck. You never forget. And, yeah. and that made me – I had goosebumps when he did that. Yeah, me too. Because yeah. I remember I all those nights I spent yeah. watching those guys play. They were kids. They were yep. 15, 16, 17-year-old kids. And and Gary was their coach, and it was just – it was awesome. It really was. When did Gary pass away? Do you remember, Pierre? Yeah, I'm going to say 20 years ago. It's been a okay. while. It's been so was while. he was he alive? I forget. Was he alive? I'll check it out now. I'm wondering if he was alive when, uh, when Billy had that short stint with the Bruins because I, I just remember – that was my first year covering the Bruins was when Billy came to the Bruins. Uh, well, he, he had been there for a year before. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so he passed. Yeah. So he was still alive. Then he passed away in uh, 2006. Yeah. So close. Uh, yeah. So a little less yeah. than 20 years, but yeah, what I remember is just talking to him about different players, not just the upper echelon. He cared so much about the players that he brought into his program. And uh, they were always, the one thing is it's kind of like, when you get players out of Notre Dame or Jeff Jackson coaches, mm-hmm. you may not get the best offensive player, but you know the guys can play defensively and you know they can really play in the neutral zone. Right. When you had a Gary Deneen player, you knew they were going to do everything right. They weren't going to be perfect, but they would understand different things in the game. And, and so you really didn't have to overcoach them because they'd come to you more prepared than a lot of other players. Well, as you know, I went to UMass. I said I lived in Western Mass. and you know, anywhere you go in Springfield, like to any of those rinks, he like people talk about him still. Yeah. I mean, it, it, his pictures are up there. And and I just remember because Billy was the one who had told me about him and just the influence he had. But, yeah, he's legendary in that side of the state for yeah. sure. Yeah. Eddie Shore, Gary Deneen, Billy Guerin, Scotty Lachance. And then you can't forget the Ash boys, you know, the Ash yeah. brothers. One went to B.C., one went yep. to Bowdoin, one went to Clarkson. And their father was the sheriff of the town. So you never wanted to get in trouble because the Ashes would always call their dad. And I say that in a respectful way. Um, when I was coaching Hartford, our farm team was in Springfield. And uh, if I had any issues, I could call Sheriff Ash. And Sheriff That's Ash could say, no, your guy's doing okay. Or no, your guy's in trouble. You yeah. better come watch him. So it was, it was a good connection to have. If I'm not mistaken, one of those Ash brothers, the one that went to BC, scored the winning goal in a bean pot. If I'm not mistaken, he did. Tommy and Tommy played in the minors for me too. Yeah, um, I loved coaching Tommy. He's a hockey father now in Boston. He's part of the Boston Junior Eagles program, and uh, 
I'm a big, my brother played with the other Ash that was up at Bowdoin. So I've okay. known the family a long time. I'm, I'm a big fan of the family and I respect them a ton as people yep. and as hockey people. The hockey world is a small world. And I think it's pretty cool. You know, we were talking about how Billy ended up in Minnesota and had been drafted there. But I, I, I mentioned this to him last, I think I had him on another podcast over the summer. Just the, the opportunity to go, like, if you think of hockey states in the United States, there's always just two states that come right to the forefront, and it's Massachusetts and it's Minnesota. And I'm not just saying that because I'm from Massachusetts. You can just look at that 1980 Olympic team. I mean, look at – they were basically either Minnesota guys or they were Massachusetts. Yeah. And Let me make I, sure I, you don't get in trouble, though. Jimmy, I want to make sure as a good partner, I want to make sure you don't get in trouble. So they used to call in the scouting business, you always got to get to the three M's. The three M's are Massachusetts, Michigan. Minnesota, and Michigan. Yep. So leave them part out. of why you want to get to Michigan is there's a guy named Mike Madonna from there and a, but the Hatcher brothers. There, there are a bunch of kids that have come out ally Brady. So <laughs> there are a bunch of guys, you know, Michigan connections. And so, yep. yeah. So the three, M, whenever you were doing the scouting, you always say, did you cover the three M's? Okay. If the, guy, if the scout said, no, I didn't. It says you better get to the M that you missed or the two M's that you missed. Well, I wonder now, does this mean that he's going to have to somehow work in uh, in Detroit someday before his career is over? He's got one M left. <laughs> you know what? I think they're looked after pretty well there in Detroit right now. How about what they're doing? And oh, wait till God. they get Patrick Kane. We, we talked about it, and to your credit, you talked about this, Jimmy. Um, Detroit is on a roll. And, uh, you know, again, winning last night in Buffalo, they had a substantial lead. Give Buffalo some credit. They pushed back to get back in the game. But Steve Eiserman and, and Sean Horkoff and that and Chris Draper and that management group have done a really, really good job putting the team in place. And they've got prospects coming. Simon Edvinson, we talked about him. Carter Mazur, we've talked about him. They've got guys coming. Um, they're, they're really a good program. Well, Pierre, you know, one guy you said that doesn't get enough credit, and I, I totally agree. He is the most under-talked about defenseman in the NHL and he should be right at the forefront cider. He was a beast last night. Yeah, he no, was huge. What a, that shot. I, I never got a, a time on uh, in terms of the velocity, but yeah. that was absolutely ripped. Bullet, like, Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. yeah that was and a he's fun game to watch. He's handling big minutes too. He, he looks yep. like he can handle 27, 28 minutes a game uh, efficiently too, not just as a one trick pony, but he can shut people down. He can also manufacture offense. That's a tremendous thing to have. I think, again, when you watch Detroit and Dylan Larkin looks like he's gone to a whole other level now. Yeah. So you watch them. And I, I, again, I can't stress enough the vision to do this. It, think about the Michigan guys that are there, whether it's Jeff Petrie or whether it's Dylan Larkin or whether it's JT Coffer, Andrew Kopp, Alex Debrinkit. They bring in guys that are proud to be from Michigan. They be, bring in guys that worshiped yeah. at the altar of Steve Eiserman. Yep. You know, and it's it's working. They deserve yeah. a lot of credit in Detroit. They really do. It really is. And you brought up, you know, credit to Buffalo for coming back there, Pierre. But I think what struck me most about, and I think it's got to be a great sign for the organization for Detroit, is how they held on. I mean, the, the, the Sabres were coming. And, and they regrouped. And they got it together. And they got that extra goal. And they went on and won. And that's what impressed me most. Not, not the lead they had before. The fact that they can withstand that now, that's a big step in their development. Oh, that's absolutely true. That's 100% correct, and, and that is a big part of it. Jimmy, we talked about, you know, it's go time for the Pittsburgh Penguins because of a team like Detroit. Mm -hmm. You know, because of where Detroit is. I think, you know, you look at it, I, I think legitimately five teams from the Atlantic Division could make the playoffs. I'm with and you. if that's the case, if you look at the Metro, you got to think the Rangers are going to make it from the Metro. Yep. You got to think Carolina is going to make it from the Metro. So who's the third team going to be? And that's where Pittsburgh's got to get ahead of New Jersey or they got to get ahead of Philadelphia. You know, it's not going to be easy, Jimmy. It's not. I'm just telling you. Yeah. And if that doesn't happen, like you said, there could be some big changes there. It's going to be interesting to see how this all unravels in Pittsburgh. But Look, Pierre, always a pleasure, my friend. And, man, I, I love talking hockey with Billy Garrett. He, he's the was, best. Well, how about the passion that he has? I almost felt like there was passion there when he oh. was answering questions. And you, you see him go back how proudly he got went back and got that puck from the yep. Springfield Olympics. I mean, that, yep. that was cool. And he didn't call him Bobby Kellogg. He called him Bobby K. You know, like, <laughs> you can tell there's a bond there. Yep. It's, I, he, I, had a, he had the BC thing. 
Yeah, he had a Boston College thing right behind him too. I saw BC there. So he takes pride in his roots. I love that. I love that very much. And he, you know what? He's doing a great job out there. That's going to be a good team for years to come. And we didn't even get to talk quickly before. I I don't mean to hold you on, Pierre, but just, you know, Flower, Marc-Andre Fleury. I I think that was a very strategic move. Obviously, he knew him from Pittsburgh to bring him in there. And the way that... From everything afar and everything I hear, everything I see, he's a real calming presence for that team, I would imagine. Oh, he 100%. That's that's his calling card, his composure and his gentlemanly behavior. He never yeah. throws anybody under the bus. Everything's his fault. It's nobody else's fault. He's been a tremendous partner uh, for Philip Gustafson, who's been very solid in goal. Billy got him from the Ottawa Senators. He yep. knew him from Pittsburgh. They had drafted him in Pittsburgh, traded him to Ottawa. But here's a name I want you to remember, Jimmy, and all the listeners out there. Jesper Wallstedt is their mm-hmm. goaltender in the American Hockey League. And I would be shocked if at some point he was not the starting goalie for the Minnesota Wild. He's really good, Jimmy. He's really, this, really good. This season, you think, Pierre? No, I'm thinking next year. Okay. All right. I'm just telling you, that this guy's he's the real deal. He's And he's once again, good. Billy's doing the right thing, putting him in Lou Yu. So Lou, good for him. You like that, right? Lou, you. Yeah. That's true. I'm going to say that all the time now. I love it. <laughs> when I said Lou, you, Billy was like traumatized. What? <laughs> Don't take me back there. <laughs> and, he, and he said, well, I think I played like 44 games there. No, it wasn't 43 or 45. It was 44. He remembers. Oh, he knows. He knows exactly. Oh. Yep. So good stuff. Well, great to have Billy Guerin, the, uh, the GM in the Minnesota Wild, joining us. And Pierre, always a pleasure. And we're going to keep that Minnesota theme going Friday, aren't we, Pierre? We are. Bob Motzko from the University of Minnesota is joining us. It was Jimmy's idea. It's a great idea. College Hockey Fridays. If you're a college hockey fan and you want to learn about the best coaches, the best teams, the best players, we're trying our best. We've had on Jay Pandolfo from Boston University. We've had on Greg Brown from Boston College. You know, you look at the guys. We had Freddie Harbinson who coached at St. Cloud but now runs Penticton. Um, who did we have on last Great, Friday? I'm trying Great, to Carvel. Great Carvel. Great Carvel. Yeah. UMass. Correct. We had Great Carvel. Now this week we're having Bob Motzko on, and not too far down the road, we're going to have a guy that works out in uh, Grand Forks, North Dakota, who's a real oh. good friend of mine, Brad Berry. And trust me, that guy can coach and he can recruit. <laughs> they get some really yeah, good players. So. That's great stuff. Yeah. So we're calling that on campus. Uh, so we're all you college hockey fans, definitely tune in every Friday for sure. And don't forget to press the like button and hit subscribe there. We appreciate it. This has been another edition of the Eye Test with Jimmy Murphy and Pierre McGuire. We'll talk to you Friday. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.